This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is, giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here. And all I can say, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. My God. But we got some show for you today, and uh, the studio is is full. It must be wintertime. Everybody's home. We have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. Tony Carbonetti is here. Vito Vassello, the borough president of Staten Island, is here. And he he's mad as hell at a few things, and he's going to talk about that. And former Governor David Patterson. David, you made a great governor. Thank you. Bring back David. <laughs> Bring back David. Bring back David. And Lydia Serrani, my sidekick here, and uh, we got some show today. We got uh, uh, Miranda Devine is going to be on, and, and uh, uh, Larry Cutlow, and yes, and uh, with Michael Goodwin, uh, Sarah Carter talking about the border, Dr. Peter Mikolos. But first, Miranda Devine has some breaking news. WABC. Twitter files part six. It looks like the FBI was working in concert with Twitter to silence free speech. Miranda Devine, it's serendipity that we have you on. And this literally just happened moments ago. Another Twitter dump by journalist Matt Taibbi. Tell us what you know. Yes. Hi, Lydia. And hi, John and everybody. Um, This has just happened a few minutes ago. It's basically the sixth Twitter files dump. Uh, there are a number of journalists, including Matt Taibbi, who uh, writes on Substack. It's a sort of, uh, I guess you'd call him a former liberal, or he's still a liberal, but he's been red-pilled. He used to write for many years for Rolling Stone, very good journalist. And his latest theme of his um, 45-odd tweets in a Twitter thread is about the FBI, as you said. And It really does show, as he says, that um, the FBI's contact with Twitter was constant and pervasive, as if it were a subsidiary, he says. And so we're starting to see the real architecture of the censorship regime that was installed on Twitter and likely the other social media platforms by various federal government agencies, primarily the FBI, but also, as Matt Taibbi shows, there were some allied kind of liberal think tanks. There's one uh, called, I think, the Election Integrity Project at Stanford University. Um, and you'll find um, that a lot of these so-called think tanks at universities, uh, for instance, I know there's the Hayden Centre at, uh, I think, George Mason University, named after Michael Hayden, um, a former CIA director who also was one of the authors of that scurrilous letter that uh, claimed before the 2020 election that Hunter Biden's laptop and our stories about emails on it was Russian disinformation. So there's a lot of cross-pollination in these think tanks with people who actively work to censor 
what I know, the New York Post story, but probably uh, were, were in concert working with the FBI, federal government agencies and social media platforms to censor dissident views of American citizens, including, as Matt Taibbi shows, jokes, just satire. Wow. Uh, Tony Carpinetti, what say you? So, Miranda, is the drip drip uh, Matt Taibbi or is Musk doing a slow rollout? Like, did he give a bunch of this to, to Taibbi and Taibbi's slowly rolling it out? No, from what I understand, Elon Musk has given a number of um, journalists that he regards as independent journalists that don't work for any corporate media that work for Substack or themselves, people like Barry Weiss and Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi. He's given them full access uh, to everything at Twitter. But it's just that the material is, you know, it's like you think of, of WABC or any organisation, you're going through their servers and trying to find out of tens of thousands or more of emails and communications, Slack messages uh, and, and calendar entries and so on, you're trying to pick the eyes out of that. You're looking for the nugget narrative. of gold. Yes. So I think that what they're doing is search terms. So um, possibly FBI or they're looking at particular accounts, you know, email accounts to see what communications they've had, for instance, with this FBI agent called Elvis Chan from San Francisco, who uh, basically coordinated the weekly meetings that the FBI was having with Twitter uh, in the weeks before the 2020 election, when basically it was instructing them what to censor and also pre-bunked our story they knew was coming down the pike about Hunter Biden's laptop. They told the FBI, told Twitter, we know uh, from a sworn declaration from a Twitter, high-ranking Twitter executive, that the FBI warned them to be on the lookout for a um, bunch of hacked material, probably in October, about Hunter Biden. Miranda, this is Vito Fasol. I'm just curious, what's the, is there a takeaway? You know, a lot of folks, a lot of folks who feel there's this so-called deep state, um, that exists in some way, shape, or form. Is there some type of takeaway based on what uh, this latest uh, series of tweets uh, reveal? Yes. Look, I think it shows that there is um, a deep state. Uh, You know, Donald Trump railed against it. He was never able to do anything to rein it in. And in fact, if anything, the deep state uh, crippled his administration. Um, And Taibbi describes the deep state in in tweet number two, 44, as really a tangled collaboration of state agencies, private contractors, and sometimes state-funded NGOs. The lines become so blurred as to be meaningless. But really, they're all pushing on a, in the left-wing direction. And at Twitter, they were pushing on an open door because the vast majority of Twitter employees were Democrats or Liberals. Miranda Devine, do you think this goes further than just Twitter? Does this go to Facebook? Does it go to the major news networks as well? Um, well, I, I can only really speak about social media platforms, but we know that the FBI was having these weekly meetings with about seven platforms, and that include, included uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, YouTube, Reddit, um I can't remember the others. Oh, Wikipedia was one of them. Um, and so, which I guess isn't social media, but is definitely has been captured by um, liberals who edit material that doesn't suit their worldview um, 
and, and you know, denigrate people who they regard as being uh, against them or opponents. And we know that one of the, I think his name is Larry Sanger, one of the Wikipedia founders has um, repudiated what Wikipedia has become. So I think um, certainly when it comes to social media, there really has been uh, an effort by um, the FBI that we can see to censor material that um, goes against some kind of, I don't know, nefarious agenda that they have. Judge Weinberg? Miranda, uh, on another topic also involving these entangled relationships, you have the situation, you just wrote this great column about the timing of the arrest and the unsealing of the indictment on uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, which is very, very troubling, right on the eve of him supposed to be testifying. Anybody who's a prosecutor knows you'd want this guy out there to speak first because he could incriminate himself and give them uh, investigative leads. And on top of that, in addition to that, there's now also the other day the uh, chair of the committee from California, she tried to silence Republicans. From Maxine Waters, right. Maxine, so what do you say about that, Miranda? Yes, well, I, Judge Weinberg, you would know better than anybody um, the value of having your target um, – basically testifying for hours before a congressional committee and fielding hostile questions um, and being under oath. I mean, that is just gold to a prosecutor. And it's really um, very suspicious, very curious that the Southern District of New York, the Department of Justice, decided to arrest Sam Bankman-Fried in the Bahamas just hours before he was due to testify at this financial services committee. And there were lots of, you know, both Democrat and Republicans were prepared to ask him some pretty serious questions. And, um, you know, there were Republican members of Congress who are former prosecutors who were just completely bamboozled and who um, called called out the authorities for doing that. But it wasn't just Republicans. Democrats were as well. And there was one Democrat who asked um, Twitter's new bankruptcy CEO uh, if, if he saw any uh, sort of untoward collaboration between the authorities um, and, uh, you know, and and Sam Bankman-Fried, would he would he let them know? Because no one can understand why prosecutors would pass up this golden opportunity to flesh out their case, other than if they wanted to, well, could be utter incompetence, or it could be that they were protecting someone. And who, who would they be protecting? Well, the people who got the campaign money. The, exactly. So, I mean, Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX, uh, Elon Musk has actually uh, put the, the, the figure as, as much as $1 billion in dark money packs uh, that benefit the Democrats. Um, others on Wall Street have told me it's probably less, more like half a billion, $500 million that was funneled through. Um, it looked as if FTX uh, if, it, if it wasn't set up for this purpose, certainly became a sort of a, a money laundering operation to uh, send money from big corporates uh, like BlackRock or SoftBank um, to uh, or Sequoia uh, to these these packs that benefited the Democrats. And uh, one of the charges against Sam Bankman-Fried is money laundering, and another set of charges is to do with campaign finance violations. 
He took the money. It wasn't his money, I understand, a lot of it. He took the money from his customers. Yeah, it wasn't his so money. So it was customers' they money. They were investors. Well, you know, customers, this, this is almost investors. a victimless crime. Uh, victimless crime because you, you don't see any stories about, you know, small mum and there's dad. There's nothing investors. in the New York Times. There's nothing in the Washington Post. There's nothing on CNN about it. I'm part of the These minority. Are big I agree. Time investors, big time investors, and I asked someone why would they not just give the money direct to the PACs, and I was told because that would annoy their investors. Like the Sequoia, or, or say for instance, they have investors, and those investors might look askance at having their money pumped into these PACs for political purposes, and so they they launder the money through FTX. And that, wow. way they can, that way they can just say, well, you know, look, we made a bad is that, investment. Is that co-conspirators? I mean, would they become co-conspirators at that point? Uh, I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt whether there would be any appetite to go after them. And also, it... oh, I think she. we just lost what Miranda Devine. Oh, there we she is. Were... We were investing in um, cryptocurrency exchange. This is a new, um, you know, a new kind of financial product. And I guess we made a bad investment, but sometimes that happens because we are doing our best. Now, 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 I think you're absolutely right. There's something, uh, you know, what was the old expression again? There's something rotten in Denmark? There's something rotten in in, in the Bahamas that they arrest this guy the day before... He has to testify, and they were afraid he was going to open his big mouth. Mm-hmm. Yep, oh, my God. Were. And then there's another uh, aspect of this. Gary Gensler, who's the SEC chairman, former uh, chief finance guru for Hillary Clinton's campaign, he had two meetings uh, in the last 12 months with Sam Bankman-Fried, which is highly unusual. And as well as that, um, Fox News just had an exclusive this week showing that Gary Gensler had um, hidden from public view aspects of his uh, his diary, which or his calendar, which showed uh, meetings with um, George Soros, Hillary Clinton, and Nancy Pelosi. So those public calendar details were scrubbed by Gary Gensler. Miranda, you know uh, we could talk for an hour, mm-hmm. but uh, we're we're coming up on a hard break. And uh, thank you so much for searching for the truth and. Uh, and uh, we'll talk again real soon. Keep searching. Thanks, John. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you so much. Uh, we're going to take a break right now, and we're going to come back with Larry Kudlow to find out how the heck is the economy doing. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night Show. Now on the line for us, we have the greatest economist in the world, the Fox number one show on Fox and Business. And solar host. system. There you go. I understand. I saw uh, the ratings on Fox Business. Larry Kudlow is number one on yep. Fox Business uh, in the business sector, beating out CNBC by a mile. Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised. Not at all. He's number one on Saturday mornings on WABC. That's it. Larry Kudlow, welcome back to Cats at Night. Uh, you're very kind. Thank you. I appreciate it. I really do. And it's all a great blessing. It's all great. Tell us, uh, what, what, what's going on? I mean, uh, you saw that the uh, Fed blinked a little bit, but uh, the, the European uh, central banks didn't blink. 
Yes, well, um, last three days, stocks are down about 1,200 points. Um, the Fed actually, Jay Powell's rhetoric was probably tougher than people think, um, harsher than people expected. You're right about Europe. Uh, Christine Lagarde of the ECB, uh, they're tightening. Britain is tightening. The other thing, John, it's very important that I keep talking about on our show is um, uh, spending, fiscal policy, federal spending. This omnibus bill is a terrible idea, and it'll wind up spending $150 billion to $200 billion above the baseline. And let me tell you, you know, markets react badly to this because – Federal spending, in many ways, is the principal cause of the inflation we've suffered through. And so what you're left with is because Congress won't do its job, then the Federal Reserve has to do it for them. And when they do that, they'll hammer us into a recession. And I think this uh, syndrome could be stopped. I mean, Rand Paul put it very well, Senator Rand Paul, on our show a couple nights ago. He said the GOP has given up the power of the purse. And they have emasculated themselves because for some reason, Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans are going along with the Democrats on this terrible omnibus spending bill. And that stops the House Republicans from making necessary spending cuts and perhaps deregulation and tax cuts as well. They should be helping the House take power. We should have a short term CR congressional resolution uh, for the budget, maybe get them into January when the Republicans take over, uh, Kevin uh, uh, and so forth. So this is a big problem, too much spending. And the Republicans are complicit in this in the Senate. And I do not understand why they want to betray uh, the House. I just don't get it. Vito? Uh, Larry Vito Fasola, I'm just... You know, the country just sort of spoke on November for whatever reason, and they expanded the uh, majority in the Senate for Democrats. So in a way, the country is sort of going along with the spending aspect. How can we really strike that balance and to explain in a, in a practical way how we can avoid a recession uh, and get the Fed back into an area that they should be to to achieve that, or, or not to, you know, not to well, go after recession. You know, you got to remember. I mean, here's a point, a very important political point. The GOP undermines its own position, right? They ran in these races as the party that would stop spending and inflation, but here they are spending again. And by the way, they spent two hundred and fifty billion dollars on that crazy chips bill. Uh, they didn't have to do that. They spent a trillion dollars on the infrastructure bill, which was a Green New Deal extravaganza. You follow? There's no credibility. And once again, the leadership, McConnell, uh, is is complicit in this omnibus spending bill, which may go as high as $200 billion above the baseline. And the baseline, by the way, has moved up substantially. So they, So they say – the Fed is responsible for killing inflation. Okay, I'm not going to give the Fed a free pass. Uh, two years ago, they said there was no inflation. But, 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 it is spending. I mean, literally, the Treasury Department is putting checks into the bank accounts of hundreds of millions of people because of these spending bills. And so that increases the money supply. In a sense, the Fed has nothing to do with it, if you follow me. So, the key to stopping inflation 
And the key to holding the Fed back before they jam the economy into a terrible recession is fiscal policy. It's Congress, okay, and the president for that matter. So that's why I think this is so important, and that's why the omnibus bill should be beaten. I don't think it will be, and that's a tragedy, but I think it should be beaten. And incidentally, here's another point, one more point. There are spending caps. Vito, you you remember this. There are spending caps going all the way back to 2010. Each year, those spending caps are waived. 60 votes is the key. If you had 41 Republicans vote against waiving the caps, then the spending caps would automatically cut about $150 billion out of the budget. Instead of increasing it, they would cut it. Now, again, where are the 41 Republican senators? They said they're against inflation. They say they're against spending, but the record doesn't show that. Very you disappointing. That's a big problem. Yes. Very disappointing. Problem. And I'm with you, Larry, by the way. I'm with, with you. David, uh, Governor Patterson, you had something to say? Uh, so, Larry, if we don't know why these Republican senators are taking the position they are, to this point, it sounds like they're actually sort of at the same time saying that they're not doing it, that they're against spending. I see that as really dangerous for the cohesiveness of, I mean, it's not my party, but if it was done by Democrats, I'd say the same thing. I think that's a dangerous way to think and a dangerous way to operate going into a whole new uh, congressional session. Well, yeah, look, it's, it's unsuccessful. I mean, the Senate Republicans are betraying the House Republicans. That's what they're doing. And this is very bad politics, and it's very bad economics. So then they want to go out and fundraise and say, well, you know, give us your money. We're the party that holds back the budget. We're the party that holds back inflation. Well, where's the evidence of that? Where's the evidence of that? No No wonder these Democratic incumbents keep winning. I mean, the GOP has got to turn over a new leaf. And I think Kevin McCarthy and Scalise and them want to turn over a new leaf, okay? I've worked with them for years. I like their commitment to America. But the Senate is choking them off. I mean, I had Senator Marsha Blackburn on uh, on the show tonight. She said, give them a chance. Give the House a chance. Give them a shot at this and see what they can do. And that's what's got me so up in arms. They're not. They're preventing them. And that's why the omnibus bill, I will say this, save America, kill the bill. Just save America and kill the bill. Otherwise, to John Katz's point, the Fed just keeps jacking up rates, knocking down the money supply, and will throw us all into a deep recession. Nobody wants that, and it isn't even necessary. It's not necessary in economic terms if you had better fiscal policy. The omnibus bills are terrible to begin with. I mean, they typically, what they do become the proverbial Christmas trees so they can somehow get back to the normal process of spending. And I will say this, Larry, to your point, I agree with you 100%. In the 12 years I was privileged to represent the people of Staten Island and Brooklyn in Congress, not once did somebody come up to me and say, you know what, I want you to spend more of my money. And I think if that's the message that we should be carrying out across the country. And to your point about the fiscal policy, I think we'd be in a lot better shape if we just got more responsible. Listen, the latest kick is earmarks. You know, uh, Richard Shelby, uh, who was the head appropriator, Republican appropriator, uh, he's retiring. He's a good conservative, but he's gone hog wild now in the last weeks 
of his uh, Senate. Uh, he's $650 million in earmarks. He's the leader. He's the league leader. $650 million in earmarks. He's the Aaron Judge of earmarks. He's leaving like uh, Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber with the suitcase of cash just handing out. Here you go. Take some of this. I mean, it's like these European Union socialists where they found $600,000 in the refrigerator <laughs> or in the suitcase. I'm shocked. Okay. shocked. <laughs> it's unbelievable. He's the league leader. He's the MVP of earmarks right now. And, and it's all bad. It's just wrong. And the taxpayers are getting fleeced. I am disappointed in Mitch McConnell and uh... – I, I know Vito is and uh, and Tony Carbonetti. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're not supposed to be doing this. This is what we run against. Okay, we, we want a conservative fiscal what, government. Right. This is usually it's the Governor Patterson's crowd that's doing this stuff. Okay. Oh, Larry. <laughs> oh, Larry. I'm sitting here. I haven't had so much fun since uh, Kennedy beat Richard Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I think the, the, but to, to the point is that you stand up, and it, and it showed. Those governors, for example, in November that ran on good, conservative, relatively conservative fiscal policy, responsible government, they won handily in Georgia yeah. and Ohio and other places. The ones yeah. that uh, drifted from their core principles uh, got walloped. Well, By the we're, way, we're yeah, out of time. Dave Pattis, I was 13 years old, but I voted for JFK in that election. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Larry. Well, Larry, Larry Kudlow, nice. I'll be listening tomorrow at 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock on Saturday morning, the number one show on Saturday mornings on WABCRadio.com, 770 on your dial. And have a great weekend, Larry. Thank you, John. Thanks, thank everybody. You. Thank you. And we're going to take a break, and we're going to go to Lou Dobbs to see how markets do one today. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, we have Michael Goodwin. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. He's currently writing for the New York Post. You see him on Fox News. And uh, he's here with us on Cats at Night. Michael Goodwin, I have to ask you, were you surprised by Trump's announcement on the NFTs, the whole superhero thing? And then he dwarfed it with the with his actual good policy when he was talking about, you know, free speech and Section 230, lifting that protection for social media platforms. Uh, good evening, Lydia. Um, surprised? Uh, yes. Uh, weird. It was it was a weird thing. I mean, I don't know what. What is he creating a new career for himself in case this political thing doesn't work out? Uh, I wanted the cryptocurrency. I was hoping for a Trump coin. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently, apparently they they sold out. Next? I don't know how many they made, but you can uh, you'll have to bid, I guess. I I don't get it. Uh, he, look, he's had a what I would regard as a terrible post presidency, and he wants to run again. He's already announced he's a candidate. Uh, this is not the path forward. This is not the path that broadens your reach. I mean, you you have to start adding people, and I get a feeling that he's continuing to lose support. I mean, all the polls suggest that while he's still the big fish in the Republican Party, um, he's no longer so dominant that he can't be challenged. And uh, it, his public, I mean, the, the general population, including all potential voters, had him at something like thirty percent approval and and wanting him to run again. So yeah, very he's got to reverse this, very not keep digging a deeper hole. 
They're very disappointed. Uh, Tony, what do you what say you? Well, we, we didn't get the so much winning that we were going to get tired of it. That's why. <laughs> we've had because so much it, losing. If, if we we've had, had so that, much losing that I'm he, tired of he it. He wouldn't be at 30%. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, – look, and these numbers can change, but I, if you just look back – to the moment, you know, January 6th ends his tenure, he's impeached but not convicted. But then you have all of these series of things that have happened since. I mean, it's very hard to see any good thing coming out of this hiatus. And look, when he runs again in in 24, I mean, he will be, you know, older. He will only be able to serve one term. and so I, you know, I've, I've likened him to a melting ice cube. I don't think he's going to go to zero overnight, but I think little by little, we are we are seeing him shrink in terms of his ability to be elected president. And Michael, you said it before; he has not been afforded the respect of an ex-president. He he, he doesn't get that that everyone else gets. Uh, you know, the speeches the. The, the world tour, the, he's gotten none of that. He's been holed up in Mar-a-Lago, and, and that's pretty – people go visit him. Well, and, you know, when you look in the campaigns, how he, con- he continues to do his rallies all through the campaign season for the midterms. Even before that started, he was doing the rallies. So he clearly is, is going back to what worked for him. But I think there's a sort of decreasing success rate to this at some point. Uh, I think you're going to have to show something new. You're going to have to be give people a reason to give you a second or a third look. And I haven't seen that yet. And certainly the NFT superhero cards, I don't think there's a big uh, audience for that. Well, you know, uh, he he has a solid 30 percent, but I can never see him getting to 51 percent. And that's the – you need to be there, right? I mean, and, and if not, then you're, go, uh, you're going to have a fight within the Republican Party. And if it looks like you are going to lose the general election, what is the point of nominating you? So, look, I, I, I have said before, and I continue to believe it, that right now, as it stands now, the Republican Party cannot win with Donald Trump and it cannot win without Donald Trump. Wow. So now, this is a bigger problem than just him. Vito, so, Vito, 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 Borough President Vito Fasella has a story for you that he thinks you might want to do. Uh, the story about why are we, our, our soldiers and our vets are suffering, why are we taking care of the migrants before we take care of them? Vito, what, what, say, what say you? Uh, sure. Um, the, well, what we raise is an issue. We know what the, what's happened with this um, right to shelter and um, the migrants coming to New York City, and it's going to cost upwards of a billion dollars. Meanwhile, we have active military personnel, some of whom are stationed in Fort Wadsworth on Staten Island and Fort Hamilton. They can't afford the basic necessities of life. We were and uh, something yesterday where the Blue Star families, they raise money and get donations for diapers and wipes and food to feed these working, active military personnel. And I just think our priorities are so screwed up right now and the world is upside down that we're asking uh, Uncle Sam for a check for a billion dollars to take care of these migrant families, and yet we're raising money uh, and subsidizing and asking for charity for active military personnel and their families. And I just think it's, it's sort of, as I say, sort of screwed up right now.
Yeah, I would I would take the sort of out of that. It yeah. is screwed up. <laughs> um, and look, I mean, you can you can point to other policies that I mean, Ukraine, uh, the 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 cost of the American role in Ukraine. While once again, Europe does very little, next to nothing. Um, you know, you would think that uh, Europe would have more skin in the game, but again, you can you can do that with virtually every unusual expenditure. You can say. What about Americans? What about and and those are valid arguments, and they I think they cut to the heart of of these policies and say, well, you you have to make a choice. You can't do everything, and if your priority is, um, you know, the foreigners who come to our country illegally over American citizens, I mean, Frank, I mean, this is what I'm writing about for Sunday, coincidentally, that when, when you think there are more than five million people have come across the border in the last two years, more than five million. I mean, it's population of Los Angeles is under four million. Uh, so you put uh, Philadelphia and Los Angeles together, and that's about what you have coming across the border. And these people are not allowed to work. At least in the beginning, so they are they are a burden on charities. Uh, the, the government funds many of the charities, but nonetheless, they're, they're showing up in schools. There's show, there thousands of them in New York City schools, where there's already arguments over space and resources and, te- and qualified teachers, uh, hospitals. Uh, you know, this, so I think that these decisions have enormous implications. And to uh, nobody in the Biden administration is really defending this. Uh, it, it's almost as though it's, they're on automatic pilot. And you say, well, why are they doing this? And there's no good answer. And Michael Goodwin, we saw Governor Gavin Newsom. He went down to the border. It does seem like the tide is kind of turning. The Democrats are waking up, but they still are not ready yet to really call out the Biden administration. I mean, once Title 42 ends, we're actually going to go more in depth on this issue with Sarah Carter, our next guest. But we could see upwards of, what would you say, uh, Governor Patterson, uh, like a stadium full of people across the border every single day. In the words of Barack Obama, this is simply not sustainable. Yes. And look, um, you mentioned that some Democrats, I mean, are coming to their senses. Yes, there are some in, in Congress as well. But still, I think the key to this is the media. Uh, You know, the New York Times and the others have belatedly started writing about the end of Title 42. But the end of Title 42 only makes a terrible problem worse. Where were they for the whole terrible problem for the last two years? They did not want to cover it because it would hurt the Democrats in the midterms. I mean, this is another one of those things that suddenly becomes a story after the midterms. All right. <laughs> look how, I mean, look at Albany, uh, you know, how there's going to be a fair hike on the subway, a, uh, a toll hike on the throughway, and the politicians uh, are giving themselves can, can the people in Staten Island, Vito, can the people in Staten Island afford all those? I mean, how many times no, are you going to pay for that bridge? Uh, we pay for probably 15 times over, but it's a cash cow. you got higher taxes, higher tolls. Is it a wonder why people want to flee this uh, this environment? And we're trying to do our best to keep and people here. And I remember here. they told all the Staten Islanders, when you pay for the bridge the first time, that's it. It'll be free. No It'll be free. But uh, it's another. <laughs> What's now, the expression? Vito, uh, didn't you tell me earlier that when they were assessing the migration, that they actually looped 
Staten Island in with New Jersey and not the rest of the city? Well, for active military personnel, which is part of the problem. So they're essentially saying that the payments to go to active military personnel, the Coast Guardsmen that are based in Fort Wadsworth, are actually part of New Jersey, in their opinion. And to give the, put the numbers in perspective, we asked the Independent Budget Office to do an analysis. It costs $93,000 a year to, how, to accommodate a young migrant family. That's about a little almost $8,000 a month. And what are you paying a private? What's that? What do you pay a private? Oh, you know, they can make anything, right? They can make up 40000 and up. But the point is this. You could, you could feed a active military family for two or three years the cost of accommodating a migrant family. That's what I sort of said before. Our priorities are screwed up right now. We're, we need to fix it. Because you're putting up. them up in hotels. Putting yeah. up in hotels are $8,000 a month. We're screwed up. Uh, Michael Goodwin, okay, we right. have to go to our next uh, guest, but I enjoy talking to you. You're one smart guy, and, and thank you for putting the truth out there, and we'll catch up with you again next week. My pleasure. Thank you all. Thank you so much. I understand now we have John Chatches on the phone. And he has figured out, uh, it's documented in, uh, that I believe that uh, FTX is $80 million of contributions on op- OpenSecret.com. Uh, John Chatches, tell us what's going on. You're, you're close. Uh, hi, John. Thanks for having me. So if, you, if anybody wants to go to OpenSecrets.org, you can do it in 10 seconds on your phone. Look down below the picture of the young Sam Blankman Freed, and you'll see a button that says click on the data. They have done us a service of going into the federal election campaign filings and compiling it. And you can actually see that between himself and his two, uh, two of his, of his cohorts, uh, Ryan Salome and I believe Nadesh Singh, they have collectively given $84 million. These are three people that are under the age of 40. So – you know, uh, and, and you can see where this money goes. And most of it was in the 2022 election cycle, the vast majority of it. I mean, 95 percent of it in the last. And where was that money going, going to? What party? Seventy nine or 80 percent of it went to Democratic PACs or Democratic candidates. And about 20 percent of it went to Republican candidates or Republican PACs. Mm. And when I say PACs, the vast majority of it, well, there are lots and lots of people who got $5,900, $5,900 as candidates. The vast, vast majority of it is giant money poured into a couple of PACs, uh, uh, Forward Future PAC and um, America Future PAC. These are organizations that are qualified under the regulatory regime to spend money on behalf of candidates, and they're run by people you and I would never have heard of. Most of them are very, very young. Um, and they deployed millions and millions of dollars on behalf of candidates. You know, and I'd say it's no big deal, but when you have an election and how many, how many of these races were within 5,000 votes, um, it's pretty clear now that the $85 million that were spent by these three people uh, had a lot of influence. And the bigger question is, is it clean money or is it dirty money? We don't know that. Well, yet. if it's, if it's a customer, if they took it from the customer, if there's the investors, the investors, there's got to be dirty money. Well, no question. We, we just, we just haven't had that. We, it, there hasn't been time to validate that yet. So I just want to be careful. Have you evaluated that. at all yet why uh, they arrested him in the Bahamas when he was going to testify the next morning? 
I have no idea. I mean, you no, know, no prosecutor in their right mind does that. No, you, you let him go testify. There's under something oath. rotten in the Bahamas. A real prosecutor lets him go testify under oath for several hours. There's nothing. All he's doing is further incriminating John, himself. John Chatches, let's continue this conversation on Sunday and uh, have a great weekend. Go have, have everybody go look at OpenSecret.org. OpenSecret.org, and you get all the information, and that's a, a quasi-government site. And let's take a break, and we'll be right back. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us is Sarah Carter. She has been covering the U.S.-Mexico border extensively for over 18 years, and she recently launched a 10-part podcast docuseries called Doc Wars, The Border. Sarah Carter, what is going on at the border right now? Well, it's complete chaos, and thank you so much for having me on. Uh, yeah, Dark Wars, The Border is a is a podcast series that I think takes people right into the story, right into what's happening, into the action, and it reveals the truth about what's been happening at the border, and I've been covering it since the Bush administration, and I've never seen anything quite like what we're seeing right now. Even my trips into Central America, i got to tell you, when I'm in El Salvador, when I'm in Guatemala, what I'm seeing, the amount of people that are heading towards the United States, the confusion, the chaos. I thought the border was secure. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's not secure, John. It's not secure. It's, I I mean, it's almost laughable when you think about it because, uh, and it's sad and tragic in the same way. I was, you know, saying human, you know, you got human smuggling, you have a humanitarian crisis, you have uh, a, a narcotics pouring across the border like we've never seen, particularly with the onset of a pure fentanyl coming across the border from the Mexican cartels. And I think everybody's seen that video, that dramatic video that's come out of the police officer uh, who touched a dollar bill in a car that was, uh, you know, that had fentanyl on it. And she she collapsed and it took three Narcan shots just to get her uh, to resuscitate it. And now she's in a hospital. Um, we're seeing things like this all across the country, our own children dying, the children that are being trafficked are being used by these traffickers, not only in sex. Sarah Carter, because we have we have limited time. What happens now once Title 42 goes away? We know that remain in Mexico, that policy, there's a judge put a stay on it, which is good news. But Title 42, they're estimating right now we're getting, what, three to five thousand migrants crossing the border. And there are some estimates of 15,000 crossing the border once Title 42 goes away on the 21st. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So remain in Mexico is now at a stay. Uh, that is a good thing. Uh, Ken Paxton, the attorney general here in Texas, was part of pushing that. And it went back to the courts from the Supreme Court. And they actually have a stay on that. But Title 42 is going to be lifted on the 21st. And we are expecting those numbers to increase like we've never seen. Right now, we're seeing those numbers already at the border. Thousands of people moving across the border. We're expecting those numbers actually to be as high as 18 thousand per day um and that will pale in comparison even to what we've seen with over 2.3 million just this last year uh encounters and over 1 million known gotaways so this is a this is a very serious time it's a national security risk for our nation and it's also a risk for people that are coming into the country i mean they are being abused and they are being used by these cartels and uh, our law enforcement's hands are tied behind their back. Uh, this is this is going to be a very difficult time. 
It is incredibly difficult, and we were talking about fentanyl before. An estimated 300 people die a day from fentanyl overdose. That's like if a major jetliner crashed every single day, and yet the Biden administration continues to put their head in their, in the sand. Uh, Tony Carbonetti, you had a question for Sarah yeah. Carter. Sarah, walk us through the process, because you said you're actually visiting some of these countries. How do these people get recruited, and how do they end up from that country to the actual border? Well, first, uh, they use the administration's own words um, online, on social media. You'd be surprised how many people um, on Facebook, uh, human smugglers, the cartels, use the ability to communicate through Facebook, through Snapchat, uh, through all these various social media apps. Once they're able to hook up with a human smuggler, that human smuggler is usually working for a much larger cartel. They connect with them. Now, it depends on how far you're coming. If you're coming from Africa, if you're coming from Afghanistan, you usually find a smuggler where you're at. You pay off for a visa. You move your way in either through Colombia, through Brazil, through someplace else, and then you find a smuggler in that area that will take you up. People pay as much as you know, as little as 16000 sometimes to move across as high as I've heard as $60,000, $70,000, depending on how far they're coming from. Now, you say, how do some of these people have this money when they're coming from so far away, you know, and, and they're poverty stricken or they may be coming from a war zone or they may be coming from an area that's, that's very difficult to, trans, to, to move from? Well, they work it off. Um, and once they come into the United States, this is the issue that we're dealing they with. They become slaves to the cartel? Children. Right. They become slaves to the cartel. They end up working here in a sex ring or in factories. They become indentured servants. And they are owned by these cartels. They are owned by the people that oh bring them God. in. Oh, my God. That's why they Sarah, even have wristbands we, we on have them. To, we, have to, we have one more guest we have to go to. We'll talk to you more next week. Uh, are you going to be available? I Absolutely. I look forward to it. Thank Sarah you so Carter, much for thank you. Again, her, pod, you. her podcast, now, Dark Wars the Border. And now we have Dr. Peter Michalos with some breaking news. Hello, everybody. Breaking news, <laughs> WABC. You're so fast. What do we have? Well, tonight we're going to talk about the environmental disaster that's unraveling in front of us with all these uh, battery bicycles with these electric batteries because they only last a maximum three, maybe if you're lucky, five years. The problem is is that you have to dispose of them. And it's illegal in uh, New York State to dispose of a lithium battery. So one of the problems is these batteries can catch fire. Let's say it's in the basement of a building, you're sleeping, and these things catch fire. They put out hydrogen cyanide gas, and they put out hydrogen fluoride gas, which can be toxic. The police department, the new NYPD, had a big fire in one of their garages last week, or this week. Right. It's a big warehouse. They they, they haven't certified it yet, but I understand they believe it's some lithium batteries blowing up, or whatever they did. Absolutely. So uh, to help our there is a phone number, 877-2-RECYCLE, so you put in your zip code to find out there are safe disposal sites throughout New York State now to be able to get rid of things like motor oil, transmission fluid, paint, pesticides, mercury thermometers, and these batteries. Don't throw them in the garbage for your own safety, and even fluorescent bulbs, which have mercury in them, take them to sites. For example, some places will accept even old cell phones. When people get rid of their cell phones, people throw them into the garbage but you don't realize you're poisoning your potential water supply it goes into the ground 
So these batteries are going to be a big problem because they're large, and we're going to see a crisis in the next uh, three years as these batteries uh, start dying, and people in the city are going to start throwing them in the garbage. We're going to see all kinds of spontaneous fires in the garbage disposal areas and buildings, and we know now, we predicted on WABC two weeks before the hurricane in Florida that salt water will go into these electric cars, and I know people in their buildings, those cars spontaneously caught fire in the basements of apartment buildings, and there are people I know who can't even go back to Naples, Florida, inside their apartment buildings because of the electrical car fires, and some of them even caught spontaneous fires in people's garages. So when there is a flood, do not pull your hydroelectric car inside your garage because salt water can short them out. So we just want to make people aware, and the website is call2recycle.org. That's call, the number two, recycle.org, to find out your nearest place to dispose of these types of items safely, including old cell phones with lithium batteries. Well, you know what's going to happen? Uh, Insurance companies are going to put a waiver in their insurance policy for homes. You you, you can't live have an electric car in your garage, burn down your entire house. Right. I recommended to the Fire Foundation the other day that they they have a label on the license plate so that the rescuers know when it has a battery in it, whether it's a hybrid or an electric car, so the rescuers are aware to use different kinds of equipment. Dr. Michalos, thank you, and we're going to have you again on on Sunday, and uh, you're going to have more revelations on Sunday from Dr. Peter Michalos. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. To Judge Weinberg, Tony Carbonetti, Borough President Vito Fasella, Thank you for speaking out. Uh, and former. Don't former, say former. I hate to former. Like, Governor David <laughs> Patterson, you're one good guy. And Lydia Serrani, what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, and the American way. God bless America. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.